0: This is News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. And this is Atlanta. The food. The wine. The entertainment. The lifestyle. This is Belinda Skelton's Atlanta Living, sponsored by FMLS.
1: And welcome, welcome back to Atlanta Living. I'm your host, Belinda Skelton. And I have the most unusual topic for this half hour. We're going to talk about flavored oils and vinegars. Uh, first, we're saving your heart. And now we're going to pickle it. No. <laughs> um, no, this is so unusual. It's a new store that's opened in the Perimeter Mall. And it's just simply titled Oil and Vinegar. And when I started reading information about it, um, it's a very high-end store Um just hundreds and hundreds of varieties to choose from and I brought in the owner uh, Vera Gall who um, this is her second oil and vinegar store she and her husband and it's so unique I'm actually drinking a vinegar cocktail cocktail that has two different kinds of vinegar in it and it's delicious so Vera thank you to the studio Thank you so much for having us on the show today, Belinda. So I'm looking at pictures of your store, and um, I think you call them... Amphoras. Amphoras. And they are these
2: gorgeous glass... they're dispensing bottles. That's right. They're beautiful glass containers. They, the word amphora comes from the Roman times, and it's the shape in which all the liquid gold olive oil used to get carried around. And so we recreate, they, they have been recreated in glass. They're UV protected to protect the oils and vinegars, but they look beautiful on our wall. And so you just have
1: rows and rows and rows of flavored vinegars and, and flavored
2: olive oils, So people can try them before they buy them bottled. Absolutely. We have a tasting table with over 50 oils and vinegars for people to try every single day. And what's most fun is that they taste great on their own. But when you start mixing combinations of oils and vinegars for salad dressings and marinades, they really pop. So what was the most unusual combination that I tried before
1: you went on the air?
2: I think the one that I love the most, it's unusual, is our key lime combination. It's our lime grapeseed oil mixed with our elderflower apple lime vinegar. And it tastes just like key lime pie, which I think is kind of Cool. But you said this would be great to um, cook with seafood or to make a salad dressing out of? I love it on an arugula salad, but I also love it on scallops or shrimp. It just tastes so wonderful and fresh and spring and summer-like. Now, I've, I've noticed that oil and vinegar shops, or especially olive
1: oil shops, are starting to pop up all over the country. But what makes Your shop, Oil & Vinegar, that's in Perimeter Mall, different from those others?
2: Well, uh, I think what's wonderful is our um, uh, store is part of a franchise that's based out of the Netherlands. There are 100 stores worldwide, 20 in the United States. And all of our products are small batch, artisan-made products that come directly from small farms all over uh, Europe, directly to us, our our headquarters in the Netherlands gets to test all the oils and test all the vinegars, so we are very sure of the uh, health benefits and the and the uh, value of the of the oils and vinegars to your well-being. So we all know that that olive oil is the
1: healthy fat. It's great to cook with over butter, mm-hmm. uh, and it adds a tremendous flavor to whatever dish you're cooking with. Um, So when you're cooking and you say um, uh, olive oil, extra virgin olive oil or virgin olive oil and it gets
2: darker, what does that mean? So uh, uh, to be an extra virgin olive oil, there has to be three things. It has to be cold pressed, which means when they're pressing the olives, the temperature cannot go above 80 degrees. Um, because otherwise you lose health benefits of the oil. It has to be uh, first pressed, which means the first time they press the olives, the only uh, oil that can be called extra virgin olive oil. But most importantly, it has to have an acidity of less than 0.8%. And all 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 of our olive oils have an acidity of a maximum of 0.5. The lower the acidity, the usually the better the health benefits and polyphenol counts or antioxidant counts of our oils. So, are you getting your olives from all over the world, or Italy, or? Uh, absolutely. Strangely enough, most people think that Italy is the biggest, ex, um, yeah. you know, a producer. The fact is, Italy. Um, exports the most olive oil but Spain is the biggest producer of olive oil and our olives uh, oils come to us from small farms all over we have uh, Greek olive oil we have a Portuguese olive oil we have a Moroccan olive oil we even have have a South African olive oil that has won many years in a row uh, uh, in a competition in Italy as best olive oil in the world
1: oh and wow it's a
2: really fabulous oil so we get our oils from all these little artisan farms all over the world now if you put all the different olive oils because they're made out of
1: the same ingredient. I guess it's just the soil they're grown in mm-hmm. and the how weather. weather the weather and then how it's produced because they're not
2: adding anything to the olive oil. That's correct, but just like in wine, where you have Merlot grapes and Cabernet grapes and and Pinot Noir grapes, the same is true in olives. You have differing kinds of olives that, depending on what they what's pressed together, uh, the flavors of the oil, the oil will be slightly different. Okay,
1: what's the lowest grade of olive oil? Is that when it's pressed several
2: times? It's pressed several times, and it's usually. Uh, uh, traditionally used as lamp oil. In other words, you just light fires with it or whatever. You don't want to consume that. <laughs> is it very light in color or dark in color? Uh, you know, color actually has no impact on the quality of oil. I know people think that the lighter or the greener the oil is, the better it is for you. That That is an absolute myth. And the reason I know that is because even when the professionals taste olive oil, they taste olive oil in a blue glass so that they can't see the color of it because the color really has no impact. Oh, wow. Oh, how funny. (laughs) Well, you know, when Rachel Ray, when I
1: first started working um, and watching uh, the Food Network and watching Rachel Ray, and she would always talk about EVOO, Mm -hmm. EVOO, add that to a recipe, EVOO. Well, she was talking about extra virgin Mm -hmm. olive oil. I did not know that. I thought it was this this new ingredient that I did not have in my pantry. So I go to the grocery store, and I'm looking, and I'm looking, and I'm looking, and I ask the uh, grocer, I said, can you help me find EVOO? And he kind of gives me a funny look, and then he walks and. He takes me over to the um, the olive oil area, and he says, extra virgin olive oil. And I said, well, I could have found that. Is that what she's talking about? Oh, my gosh. I was so embarrassed. And my family loves to tell the story that I couldn't find olive oil. But I was like, just say it, E-V-O-O, extra virgin olive oil.
2: Yeah, and and you know we uh, an extra virgin olive oils are, are fabulous if you just try them by themselves and um, like some of the flavored ones that I just had you try, like our basil olive oil is just so fresh tasting, and they're all made the same way with you know ingredients all crushed together and uh, and all healthy for you. And just soaking it in the oil, or letting it steep in the oil for a while, is that how they obtain that flavor? The the fused flavored olive oils they actually for. Example, example, the lemon olive oils that we have, they crush the lemon peels with the olives at the same time. So it's a nice, fresh, intense flavor. Uh, and then some, they let them steep in the oils as well. Wow. So. Now, does olive oil go bad? Uh, well, absolutely. Olive oil is like a fresh juice. So you want to consume it as close to its press date as possible, as opposed to wine that you want to age. Uh, so we usually recommend that you consume your uh, our olive oils within about 15 15- minutes months of purchasing them from us. We always have the, f- the latest uh, harvest of olive oils in our store. So, uh, yeah, we usually recommend between 15 and 18 months is what you need to consume your olive oil within, uh, because otherwise, the more it uh, has uh, uh, the four things that olive oil does not like, heat, air, light, time. Okay. So you don't want to keep your olive oils too long. You want to purchase just as much as you're going to use. And... If you are cooking with olive oil, it has a very
1: low smoke point doesn't
2: it it does it has a relatively low smoke point compared to some other oils but nothing that you can't use on your stovetop usually most of our home stoves are not going to heat your olive oil when you saute to a point where it's going to break down the oil so certainly feel free to use your oil oils to do a nice saute on the on your stovetop we don't recommend grilling with our olive oils but we have some fabulous grapeseed oils that uh, have a higher smoke point that has have wonderful flavors from Washington state that we would we recommend for grilling okay that's fascinating well how is it going over with customers you've been open about two weeks now we love it. You know, uh, my husband and I own a store in Greenville, South Carolina, and we've always wanted to come to Atlanta because it's such a vibrant, fun city to be in. And we was we, we just thought it would be a great way to bring uh, a, this concept to Atlanta. Our guests have been thrilled. We've had some customers that... Uh, used to come to our store in Greenville that have stopped by already to say hello which oh, we love uh, and we're looking forward to our, our ribbon cutting and grand opening on on Thursday, April 14th uh, that whole weekend we're going to do some nice specials and giveaways in the store.
1: Well we're going to take a break we are talking with Vera Galt, the owner and operator with her husband of Oil & Vinegar that's just opened in Perimeter Mall so we'll take her uh, questions and yours right off the bat when we come back you're listening to atlanta living only on news 95 5 and am 750 wsb
0: how more of belinda skelton's atlanta living
1: hey let's give away some great stuff the weekend the mcdonald's weekend prize pack Four tickets to the Atlanta Symphony Orchestra's ca- Classical Series on Thursday the 14th at the Symphony Hall and four tickets to the High Museum. Uh, call 404 and that will go to the third caller... Scott Maxim's answering the phone. Third caller, 404-741-0750. Well, I am speaking with the owner of oil and vinegar, Vera Gall. She and her husband just opened it in Perimeter Mall, and it's so unique. And um, they they have such an array of of oils and vinegars from around the world. But they also have spices and mixes and, and a lot of pottery, hand
2: Handmade pottery. Yes, we have a wonderful array of handmade ceramics from Spain and Greece and Italy. And uh, I especially love our Spanish... Um, handmade pottery. We have this beautiful little olive bowl that's just adorable uh, with a built in place for pits and for uh, toothpicks and they're just gorgeous. We love people to come in and take a look at them.
1: So tell us about the bruschetta that you just served because that was so good. I
2: know. It's such a great seller in our store because it's so easy to make. It's just a dry herb mix and all we do is add warm water and a splash of olive oil. It takes less than a minute to make and it makes the best quick appetizer, but it also is a fabulous addition to meatloaf or meatballs or even just a little bit over pizza or pasta. Oh, it's delicious. And the pesto as well. Oh, the pesto. Our pesto Genovese is from Italy, and it is wonderful and has lovely cashew nuts mixed in with the pine nuts, which makes it really nice and creamy. Makes a great pasta sauce, but also tastes fabulous on goat cheese or cream cheese as an appetizer. So look for oil and vinegar at Perimeter Mall, not to be just a place you go to
1: to add to your pantry but you can go for gifts there as well and make someone else's day is there a website or a
2: phone number you would like to give out absolutely our website is oilvinegar.com and our facebook page is o and v perimeter mall and we'd love for you to stop by our store we're gonna have some great giveaways next weekend so we hope people will come by but most importantly, we want you to have a culinary adventure when you come in our store. Well, I've just tasted some outstanding oils and vinegars
1: that I didn't even know were possible. So it's fantastic. Now, coming up next uh, is one of my favorite interviews I've done yet. Hello, if perfect. you If you are a bird watcher, you are going to love this next segment. It's David Sibley of the Sibley Bird Watchers Guide. And he's just updated the Eastern Bird Watchers Guide. So, David Sibley, coming your way next. Stay tuned. You're listening to Atlanta Living only on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Depend on it.
0: The entertainment, the lifestyle. This is Melinda Skelton's Atlanta Living, sponsored by FMLS.
1: And welcome back to Atlanta Living. I'm your host, Belinda Skelton. Nothing is more beautiful and soothing to see a beautiful bird fly down and drink water out of a bird bath. Or if you're in the great outdoors, seeing birds chirping and and flying around, and I have one of the authorities on birds of the North America in the studio with me, I have David Sibley, and he's the author of Many Bird Guides, and it is such an honor to have you sitting across from me. Uh, David, you have how many guidebooks that you have written over the years?
0: Oh, it's... um, um,
1: Have you lost count? You're you're running out of fingers. (laughs)
0: Uh, Five, I think, and A Guide to Trees.
1: And A Guide to Trees. And your, your father... Was also a ornithologist.
0: Yes, my father's an ornithologist, and um, I guess technically I'm. I didn't go to school for ornithology, but I've spent my life just studying birds in the wild. So,
1: so uh, did you, did you pick up the love of birding through your father?
0: Uh, yeah, definitely. I, I've, well, I feel like I've always been interested in birds as long as I can remember. But when I was seven years old and showing an interest, then there was. There were bird books in the house, and I was tracing and copying pictures out of the books, and my father then seeing my interest, and I have an older brother who is also interested, so that was a great encouragement for me as well. But um, my father, seeing us interested in birds, could then just uh, say, hey, come along, we're going for a hike, and and uh, introduced us to it that way.
1: You know, it's a great hobby that you can take to any level that you wish,
0: yeah, yeah, it really is, and it crosses all, all, um, um, uh, lifestyles, social strata, and and your your real profession doesn't matter. Uh, a group of bird watchers can be a, a single mom, an orthodontist, and a plumber, and having a great time just watching birds, and um it's it's a great hobby that way.
1: So, what made you write your first guidebook?
0: Um, well, uh, to me, birding and drawing have always been one thing, really. (laughs) I've always drawn birds and watched them. So, um, the, the drawing part was something that has always been a part of bird study. And uh, growing up as a, as a birder with my father being Mm -hmm. an ornithologist, um, on weekends we would go birding. Essentially, all of the adults that I knew used field guides. Um, everybody was a birder. <laughs> so, you
1: would a field guide is, is a book that uh, would have drawings or illustrations of birds. And if you see a bird, you you start narrowing it down based on its features to find out what type of bird it is.
0: Yeah, it's kind of the illustrated catalog of birds, and you sort through it to find a, a picture that matches the bird you've seen. So. As a kid it seemed like seemed to me like um being the author of a field guide was a perfectly normal and viable career path. The next <laughs> step
1: for you. <laughs> well, it's just amazing at the quality of illustrations and you did all the illustrations in your guidebooks. I did. Yes. And so these were taken from actual paintings.
0: Yeah. That yeah, you, uh,
1: you've done. I mean, this is incredible work. <laughs> this is like masterpiece works that they've computer. Mo- uh, how did they take yeah. your your paintings and and modify them for
0: the book? For the book, yeah. Um, well, I do the original paintings in in uh, uh, gouache, which is a type of watercolor paint. So I do the original paintings on a just on a regular sheet of watercolor paper and then um i send all the original art to the publisher and they have it scanned so it it gets and it's it's the same process as anybody could do in their in their home now with a a 99 nine dollar scanner except this is very expensive very high-tech real publishing scanner but it's the same technology essentially so the images get scanned and then Um, there's other software that's used to assemble all the pieces to take each individual scan of each image. And there are over 7,000 individual paintings in the books. Um, So it all gets um, pasted together into a book and then printed.
1: You have to be so technically on point with your paintings because people are identifying the birds based on your paintings, whether it has a Uh, a red throat a a white little crest or or what have you on the bird each feather is individual
0: yeah yeah and each the the differences between some of the species are very subtle and capturing those differences in the paintings is really a challenge Um, but if I don't get it just right. I certainly hear about it from <laughs> from my fans.
1: You know, I they did go. I did go online because this uh, Sibley's Bur, uh, Sibley Birds East is the second edition of your East and West Bird Guides, and the original edition was in 2008. 2003 2003 and i was reading some of um the reviews and they were like oh david um now the map needs to include this and (laughs) so birders are very exact people it's no there's no gray
0: (laughs) um yeah it's partly that birding is a very local um thing it's um People do it in their backyards, in their own park, and they get to know that area really well and the birds of that area really well. So everybody looks at this field guide and views it from the perspective of how does it work for the birds in my patch, in my neighborhood, and some very specific things come up. That
1: now, how does the Sibley Birds East book guide work for someone who's never used one of your books before
0: mm. um, uh, it's well it's like I said a sort of an illustrated catalog of all the birds um, and it's a lot of species um, they're arranged in their family groups by by their um, relationships. So the species that are related to each other are grouped together in the book. So all the ducks are together, all the hawks are together, the woodpeckers. And those are groups that most people will know mm-hmm. by the name what, what a duck looks like. Um, okay. And my advice for somebody who's just starting out, who's just gotten the book for the first time, and it's their first field guide, would be to spend some time with the book at home. You'll already know ducks... Um, hawks, woodpeckers, groups like that, but there are going to be a lot of unfamiliar names like vireos and warblers. And um, if you flip through the pages of the book a few times, looking at the species and paying attention to what, what the different groups are, then you'll have a sort of handle, a, a framework that will help when you start seeing birds in the field. And um, and one of the good exercises, if you want to get a little bit more involved in it, um, a good exercise is to go through the book with some, um, um, a highlighter or a little um, sticky tabs or something mm-hmm. and put a, put a dot on the species that um, occur in your area. You can use the maps in the book to see which species are likely to be in your area okay. and go through and actually mark those birds.
1: And you can start with the ones you see in your backyard and the ones you see in your park and then broaden out to hikes and, um, you can, you can take it to, uh, vacations and, um, you know, birding is something you can do all over the world. Yep. Um, now, so this is birds of the East and you, you take it from what what are the, what are you calling the East? What are the parameters?
0: Yeah, it's um, for, for birds and other um, wildlife, the, the division between east and west is really the Rocky Mountains. Okay. Oh, So. okay. Yeah, way, way west. Yeah. Um, so essentially, this eastern guide covers all of the states that are completely east of the Rocky Mountains. Okay. So if you're in Colorado, that's in the west because okay. it includes right. some of sure. the Rocky Mountains. But Kansas, Nebraska... Oklahoma are all in the East.
1: So someone who wants to start bird watching, um, maybe what do they need to start out with as far as equipment? Do they need to go to their local sporting goods store and spend a thousand dollars on binoculars? What type of equipment do they need to set themselves up with to have the most enjoyment?
0: Um, they, yeah, they definitely don't need thousand-dollar binoculars to start out if if you can afford that definitely go for it because it will increase your your enjoyment of the birds um, but you can get some really good binoculars for just a hundred and fifty dollars in that range and binoculars are really critical to bird watching although on the most basic level, you don't even need binoculars to watch birds. If you're looking out your window at your bird feeder, or um, you can identify birds without binoculars. It's it's not essential, but binoculars are really the the tools of the trade. And um, you can get a decent, or, well, actually a, a very good pair of binoculars for under two hundred dollars. Um, the binoculars that you can get for a lot less than that you'll find them for sale for thirty-five dollars prices like that and and maybe for just starting out if you want to see if you like it or not that might work but um you'll uh, quickly outgrow those binoculars
1: Um, well nothing is better than being in your backyard and hearing birds um it's it's so relaxing so um We're going to take a break, and when we come back, I want to ask you, what are some things that that homeowners can do to attract birds to their backyard to have that tranquil peaceful, and then start their bird watching from their own backyard. We're speaking with David Sibley, uh, the author of many guidebooks, but we're discussing the Sibley Birds East, and he just came out. This is the second edition, and there's also the Sibley Birds West. So you're listening to Atlanta Living, only on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Depend on it
0: now back to Belinda Skelton
1: welcome back to Atlanta living I'm your host Belinda Skelton well if you have a love of birds or if you would start to do that we have in the studio with us David Sibley if you recognize that last name from the bird guides the Sibley bird guides we have in the studio with us David Sibley the author of many bird guide books this one we're discussing today the Sibley Birds East and David, we were talking earlier about how wonderful it is to step outside your front or back door and hear the sound of birds. So, what should we do if we'd like to attract more birds to our backyards?
0: Yeah, it's and that's one of the things that makes birds and bird watching so much fun is that they they're so mobile. They move around and they they appear everywhere even in even in the middle of the city in a oh, yeah. just a totally concrete backyard. Um, you can still attract some birds. So the things they need are like anything, food, water and shelter. Um, shelter to a bird is some nice dense shrubbery, some foliage that they can hide in. Um, the small birds they'll need to hide from passing hawks or other things. They just feel safer yeah. if they have that opportunity nearby. So if you have the if you're able to plant things like that, some shrubs or trees, um, that will provide cover for the birds is uh, really good. And and native plants are best. And if there's um, plants that are particularly bird-friendly, will a- also provide some fruit in the fall and winter. Oh, great. So hollies, things like that, are really excellent bird plants. Um, and providing food for the birds is a, also a really easy and great thing to do. Um and any kind of uh, there's lots of different styles of bird feeders um, lots of different kinds of food that you can buy you can experiment with different kinds see what works in your neighborhood um generally the um uh the most popular seeds are the ones with really high fat content like sunflower seeds okay and the bird's love the sunflower seeds that are already shelled so they don't have <laughs> so to do they don't the have work, to work. <laughs> i fill them <laughs> <laughs> those are also the most expensive to buy um, but you can try out different kinds and and weigh all those options and the last thing is just providing some water a bird bath and it's important to keep all these clean That keep the bird feeders clean keep the bird bath clean just rinse them out every every week or so um, but it can be a tremendous source of fun to attract birds to your yard.
1: Yes, for you and your family. David Sibley, uh, writer, author, illustrator, so impressive. Thank you so much for joining us in the studio. And folks, this is a wonderful uh, asset to to you and your family and a wonderful gift. The Sibley Birds East It's the second edition. Thank you so much for joining us in the studio.
0: Thank you. It's been a pleasure.
1: (laughs) Folks, you're listening to Atlanta Living, only on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB.